0: You've heard people tell you that your friends are going to shape your future and all that. I'll say it like this, the title of my message this morning. There's potency in your posse. There's power in the people that you allow in your life. That's why you got to be careful about who your friends are. Your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your posse, as it were. Now, if you're a guest with us, what we like to do each fall is do a sermon series called FAQs, a series of talks called Frequently Asked Questions, and we like to answer questions that you've asked, or your friends have asked, or your family members have asked questions about homosexuality. Questions about the validity of the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? Questions about Islam? Questions about sex and money and heaven and all kinds of different questions. This morning, I want to try and answer the question, how to deal with difficult people. You can find all the other messages online if you want to check those out sometime for your own perusing activity. But I want you to figure out how do we deal with difficult people? You asked the question. The reason this is an important conversation and the reason I started this morning by talking about your posse is because the potency of your posse can work for good or for bad. There might have been some difficult people who have infiltrated your group of friends, and now they're taking you a direction that you didn't even realize was down. Or this is probably more realistic, that you've had to include somebody into your life, somebody that you wouldn't have otherwise included. Think um, boss, think co-worker, maybe think family. You didn't get to choose them in every single case, but uh, that person now is making your existence exhausting. We all have that person in life who as soon as you wake up, you think to yourself, man, I hope I don't run into so-and-so. We all have that person who's always around, yet we, we wish they were never around. And so we fantasize about getting a different job or taking an extended vacation. If you're sitting next to them, don't look at them right now. That'd be awkward. Uh, but we're thinking about... So what I, I want to do, you're hoping, what I do for you this morning when we talk about difficult people, you're hoping that I will bring to you a message that will help them change. In fact, you might have heard last week that I was talking about difficult people, so you invited them to come to church with you this morning, and now things just got really weird because they're thinking, wait, does my friend think I'm a jerk? Is that why they invited me today? So let me just clear all this up because uh, you should know that this church really believes that one second in the presence of God can radically transform your life. And we are so committed to the message that Jesus came to this earth so that you can find freedom and joy. And since we're so dedicated to that good news of the gospel of Jesus, one of the things that we're constantly telling all of our people to do is to invite their friends. I tell them, you do what you can do, I'll do what I can do, what I can't do is know all your friends, and maybe what you can't do is articulate the gospel to them in a way that's helpful. So let's just team up. And I promise every single week we're going to talk about Jesus, and my hope is that it's never weird, and this will always be a safe place for you to ask difficult questions, and we'll explore some hard tacos and what God has uh, to say, and it'll be a win-win for them and for you. So you're not here because you're a jerk, you're here because your friend loves you. Now, in their mind, they might still be thinking, "No, it's because you're a jerk, and that's why." I invite you, but they'll never tell you that, so you don't have to worry. And just between you and me, the joke's really going to be on them because I think God has something that He wants to say to all of us together. Amen, somebody. So, if you brought a Bible, meet me in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament. If you got a device or something, you can cheat and just click to Matthew chapter 16. The big number 16 is what. Uh, you want to find. I want to talk to you about a situation that Jesus found himself in, where he was dealing with a difficult person. See if there's anything that anything that we can discover for our lives as well. Starts out by saying in verse 21, from that time on. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their spool? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. God, thank You for Your Word. We just ask You now to do what only You can do. Send Your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to give us clarity behind this topic. Help us answer the question, how to deal with difficult people. But more importantly, let us hear from You. Uh, Let us be one step closer to you as we end our time this morning. Let us fall more in love with you. We ask all this in your powerful name. Amen. Each one of you has an internal compass, an internal processor that tells you where you're going. Some of you, your compass is all jacked up, okay? You can't navigate yourself out of the garage, and I get that. One One of my good friends is like that. He has to use GPS wherever he goes. Uh, Others of you, your internal compass is working incredible. People like my wife, she can go somewhere one time and know exactly how to get back. It's amazing. Um, More of you probably are like me in that you're not completely incompetent when it comes to directions, but, you know, it's going to take you a few times before you get there. I'm, you know, I can navigate places, but... Uh, you know, if, if my wife was with Columbus, they would have discovered the known world way sooner. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that would have just been an easy, this star, you go here, yeah, you'll find it. There'll be a whale and some bodies of, you know, land. So uh, we went to Tennessee this summer to see her dad. And I don't know if you've ever been to the backwood mountains of Tennessee before, but everything looks the same. Every road looks the same. Every tree looks the same. Every house looks the same. Every I mean, they might be different colors, but they've all got appliances on the porch and some dude playing a banjo, smoking a cigarette. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not true, okay? There's only a few houses like that, but uh, we were there, and uh, in fairness, Tennessee is beautiful. We were on a huge lake, miles of water. It's surrounded by mountains. Again, huge trees, beautiful, the vines, the uh, wildlife, flowers. It's all incredible to see, but uh, I'm a flatland people, you know? Like, I'm not a Highlander. I don't know how to navigate through all of this stuff. And there ain't no Siri, and there ain't no Alexa. There's no towers up there to give you any sort of GPS bearings. You gotta have an old school paper map, an atlas. Or you got to have a really solid co-pilot, which is what I had in my case. But one day, we're trying to navigate off of the mountain. It it started raining. We needed to get the ca- uh, kids out of the cabins. How many of you all know cabin fever is a real thing? And that spreads, you know, faster than the Ebola among those monsters. And so you got to sometimes just get them out of there so they don't kill themselves or you. And so uh, we tried to get them off the mountain. And I knew from our way in at some point we needed to turn left. Uh, that's all I, I could remember. Now, I'm the one that has to drive, you know, because I'm the man, okay? I don't care if you're Danica Patrick, it's my van, and I'm behind the wheel. This is what we do. Plus, I don't want to deal with the kids in the back seat. That's probably more, it's like, babe, I'm driving, you have to mess with that. So, uh, we're going down the mountain. She, uh, Laura, is turned around trying to get the DVD player thing to, to work that uh, to get the kids to, to watch the DVD as we go. And uh, not paying attention, and I'm thinking, you know, at some point I should probably ask when we turn left. And she goes, you need to turn left right here. I was like, wait, what? Like, here? And she's like, uh, turn left. I was like, how do you know? You're not even, what? Are we in the matrix right now? How do you know that we need to turn left? Are you even real? And she's like, just do it. And so I turn left. I follow the advice. And we make it down the mountain. And to this day, sometimes I just like, Look over and wonder if she's a robot or like if this is a simulation that we're in. But uh, she knows she knows what she's doing. Here's here's my point. Here's why I bring it all up. We all have an internal compass, an internal processor leading us through life. You can call it your instincts. You can call it your gut. You can call it your heart. Whatever you call it, it is communicating to you. It's communicating. This is the way to life. This is the way to happiness. This is the way to fulfillment. This is the way to joy. This is the way to everything that you're looking for. And it's my contention with you this morning that your intuition is off. And if you trust your instinct over and above the Word of God, you will repeatedly end up in a place that you had never intended to go, somewhere that's altogether different furthermore, because my compass is off and your compass is off, then together we'll end up places that, again, we never decided to go, and we won't know quite how we got there. And so what I want us to chat about with regards to difficult people is this. You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. We keep trying to change others when God is trying to change us. We keep trying to change others when God is trying to change us. How many of you all realize that you're the one that's in church today? And so what I can't have you do is start thinking to yourself, well, Tom was here to listen to this because old Tom's all jacked up. No, maybe God has to do something in you first. And so we're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people. And I'm going to give you some things that you can identify in other people that will help you navigate this idea of difficult people. And I'm going to give you some practical steps that you can start today because that's what I do But at the end of the day, I think part of the reason that you're here is not so much for those things, but rather is so that you can get better. Because when you get better, the people around you get better, and there's potency in your posse. And so let's dive into this text first. It says, from that time on, Jesus began talking to his disciples about how he was not. From that time on, the author writes, and you're thinking to yourself, from what time on? Where what are we even, where are we at? You all been to that movie, and you had to go to the bathroom partway through, and then you come back, and you ask your friend, hey, what happened? And they're like, nothing. And then like 30 seconds later, somebody is having a funeral, and it's like a main character in your way, I thought nothing happened. And they're like, well, you're in the bathroom, I forgot that happened. And this is where we're at in the Bible. From that time on, well, what does that even mean? What are you talking about, Matthew? From that time on, let me fill you in. Jesus and his disciples are in a town called Caesarea Philippi, an area of the world. And over dinner one night, Jesus poses the question, Who do people say that I am? And his disciples say, well, some of them think that you're an Old Testament prophet, reincarnated, maybe Jeremiah or Elijah. One of them says, uh, some of them think that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And Jesus is like, well, that's weird. John the Baptist, you know, Baptist baptized me. How would I become J to the B? And they're like, we know Jesus. people are crazy. We don't know what they're talking about. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter immediately speaks up and says, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah. Uh, That was Peter's real name, was Simon. You know, Jesus is about to get real when he uses your whole name. (laughs) And he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it's only my Father in heaven who could reveal this truth to you, that I am the Savior of the world and that I am going to help all of humanity. And it's on this truth, on this rock. That I am the Messiah. It's on this doctrine that I'm going to build my church and nothing will overcome it. And from that time on, Jesus began telling his disciples that he must die, but on the third day he'll be raised to life. So we go from that with Peter. Good job, Peter. That's a win. To uh, verse 23, Jesus calling Peter Satan. You talk about a turn for the worst. This just escalated quickly. How do we get it? You know, what happened here? Uh, the same thing that happens in your life. Peter trusted his feelings instead of his Father in heaven. And in this moment, Peter became a difficult person. He went from, only my Father in heaven could reveal this to you, to, oh, my feelings are telling me this could never happen. And Peter became a difficult person trying to lead Jesus away from his purpose. This is what difficult people will try and do to you they'll try and lead you away from what God wants. He says, never, Lord. That's never going to happen to you. As long as I got this sword, you can see there's potency in your posse, but it can work for good or for bad. And what I think we need to explore here is how can we recognize the difficult Peters in our own lives before they lead us away from our purpose? Because we keep trying to change others, but God might be trying to change us. That is to say... There might be people in your life that you need to figure out. Are they helping or are they hurting? So how do we recognize difficult people? Well, we have to see here what Peter did. First of all, they're going to take you aside. You want to know if somebody's being difficult or not? They're going to try and isolate you, get you by yourself. That's what Peter does in verse 22, takes Jesus aside. needs you to know that your enemy, the devil, likes to get you isolated. He wants you alone. Your internal compass is easier to jack up when it's just negative influences in you and there's nothing around you, no good people, to help you see that what you're thinking is not actually accurate. This is what makes me so nervous for you young people because everything that you do is done in isolation anymore. Even when you have your friends over, you're still just sitting next to one another, not talking face to face. You're busy Snap tweeting and face gramming and whatever else, face boxing, all of it. And you never go out as groups of friends anymore and you say, well, that just needs to be us, baby. You're all I need, just you and me. And the way you can tell if you need to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend is they're constantly trying to take you away from the godly people who God has placed around you. Some of you need to break up with them right now. I'll give you a little bit of time to do that if you want to do that. Text over your phone. A few seconds to break up. Uh, they say, oh, I don't, you, you don't need them. You just need me. I'm, you complete me. And they're trying, that's what they say, they're trying to get between you and me. Yes, I am. Because you're the devil, according to Jesus, right here. Because when you try and isolate somebody, get behind me, Satan. So, there's that. Just so I'm clear, I don't think if you're under the age of 22, you should ever go on a date by yourself. Because the point of dating isn't to have a good time. The point of... Is to find a spouse and figure out if this person is marriage material. And all the young people say, But we're so in love. No, you're not. Because you clearly don't even love yourself. Because if you did, you wouldn't allow somebody to take you away from the godly people, the potency of your posse. Come on, parents, you know what I'm saying? You, you want to get preaching. Difficult people always try and take you away from what you know. Why? so they can rebuke you. Number two, they isolate you and then they criticize you. They berate you. They post about you on social media behind your back. They're passive aggressive. Why do they do that? Because the mind of man, your internal compass, it only thinks of itself. We all have a consumeristic approach to life. I want what I want when I want it. And it's at the expense of wisdom and reason And the reason there's potency in your posse is because they're bringing wisdom and reason to your life. People like this think only of themselves, and they will use and abuse those around them to get whatever it is that they want. They say, well, who do you think you are? You need to do this. Why are you being like this? Where is your TPS report? I'm going to go ahead and need you to come in on your day off. That's how you know you're dealing with a difficult person. I'm sure you've been there in life. Difficult people only think about the here and now. And when you only think about today, listen to me, uh, then you have no capacity for self-sacrifice. None. If today is all there is, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die... If today is all there is, the great virtue of laying down your life for something other than yourself becomes impossible because all you have is today. And if the right now is all you have, then of course you're going to rebuke everybody who doesn't do what you want them to do. Because you have to have your way. Jesus, you can't die. I'll never let that happen. Jesus, no, that's why I came to earth. Because if I don't die, you can't live. Difficult people think about themselves only, and they rebuke you when you don't live up to their expectations. And they like to disguise it all under stumbling blocks. That's the other thing that difficult people will do. They'll create stumbling blocks in your life. They'll manufacture doubt. They'll manufacture uncertainty. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from this tree in the garden? Did God really say that you shouldn't have sex before marriage? you got to see if you're compatible. God is love. God wants you loving everybody. Well, God's also holy. And all the angels in heaven aren't singing, love, 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 the Lord God Almighty. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So yes and amen, but there's a little bit more truth to that. Did God really say that you can't just, you know, do a little bit of things to this account? Everybody in the industry is doing it. You're just taking from over here, putting it over here. Did God really say that you should... You're not actually cheating. You're just using every resource in your power more effectively. Jesus said, no, you're thinking of the things of man instead of the things of God. And the things of man are stumbling blocks. And the things of man are causing you to love the world. And if there's any one thing that I've learned in my short time here on this earth is that the world wants you to lack discipline. Eat whatever you want. Fine. Watch shows. Binge watch. Who cares? Life is short. Do, do what you got to do. Spend your money. You worked hard for it. Who are, who are they to tell you how to live your life? And so you begin to lack discipline. And you begin to lack a seriousness about preparing for tomorrow and nowadays people build up ridiculous amounts of serious amounts of ridiculous debt and I don't think you can make a biblical case that all debt is bad so don't hear me say that I I, I don't think you can make a biblical case that all debt is bad debt don't take you know don't tell Dave Ramsey I said that he'll want to fight me okay so we don't want that but uh, I don't think from scripture you can argue that all debt is inherently wrong, but there is a type of silly debt birthed out of insecurity and wanting to be viewed as something you're not and have things that you can't afford. So instead of taking the long view approach where we say, I want to live in such a way that honors the Lord, that I don't want to live in such a way where I'm trying to purchase how other people see me. And I'm going to get in debt in order to drive a certain thing and wear a certain clothes and live in a certain place. And God says those are the things of man. And if people are trying to get you to live only for a today, it's a trap. It's a stumbling block. You do what I say. Well, what did Jesus say? you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross. He says if you're going to live for the world, you're going to forfeit your soul. And the question before us today is, well, okay, how do we deal with these difficult people? That's why you came. I want to give you some answers on how you can deal with it. But first, I think what you really need to wrestle to the ground is, is it actually them? Or am I doing this in my own life? Am I isolating myself? Am I living only for today? Am I creating some stumbling blocks? Well, that's what I think, because God, you keep trying to change others. But God might be trying to change you. Maybe not. Maybe they're difficult. So what do we do? Well, first of all, uh, you got to set some healthy boundaries. You want to deal with difficult people? Set healthy boundaries. What's Jesus say? When he's isolated, when he's being rebuked, he says, "Get behind me Satan." Well, what is that? It's a boundary. What else does he say? He says, you're thinking of the things of man, not of the things of God. Well, What is that? That's another boundary. The things of God are boundaries. I need you to know that the commands in Scripture, the things that God is trying to keep you away from, those are boundaries. God knows those things lead to death. And He loves you and He cares for you and wants you to have fullness of life. And so he says, operate within these parameters. These are healthy boundaries for you. You need to know that when it comes to the things of God, difficult people are going to try and get you out of that. And so they've transitioned from being a difficult person to being a toxic person. They're no longer difficult, and they don't need healthy boundaries. They need to be cut off out of your life. Toxic people are going to kill you, slowly and painfully like a disease. So some of you, when you're uh, diagnosing healthy boundaries, you need to figure out, are these people toxic, or are they just difficult? I can't help you with toxic people. I can help you with difficult people, but the Bible says when it comes to toxic people, you don't need any help with that. You just need to get them out of your life. Read 1 Corinthians 5 sometime. Paul says, kick that person out of the church so that they can have their soul saved. Why? Because that person's toxic. Matter of fact, just a few verses earlier in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, these are toxic people. They're not difficult. They're poisonous. They're going to spoil what God has put in your soul. And you stay away from them. So I'll try and explain it practically like this. The people who don't know Jesus won't act like Jesus. So you can't expect them to. In that case, your boundaries are for you. You need to lower your expectations of them and raise the expectations of yourself. So practically, you might need to bring some noise-canceling headphones to work. You can't expect them to quit talking negatively, but you can not listen to it. Practically, you might need to uh, set a boundary of eating at your desk at lunch. Just not go out with everybody else. It's a boundary. You might need to uh, block people on social media. Unfollow. unfriend. You don't need that poison in your life, that constant negativity. These are practical things. These are healthy boundaries. When it comes to difficult people, you might also need to just care for your soul. Sometimes in order to set healthy boundaries, you need to care for... Your soul. That's boundary number one. Just so you know, that's why we founded this church. We want to connect you to God's purpose by caring for your soul. That's why every week I want to make sure I stand up here and offer you hope. I don't know how you came into this week. That's why every single week I want you to come in here and hear some upbeat music. Not because we're trying to be some kind of pointless pep rally. But because I believe for at least one hour this week, God wants to encourage you. He might need to challenge you, but over and above that, He wants to help you. For the record, it's also I want you serving on a team. Because by serving on a team, you're caring for your soul. I don't need you to do ministry, but God might need you to find a purpose outside and above yourself. So every time you set up a chair, and every time you serve a cup of coffee, and every time you shake somebody's hand, and every time you smile, and your attitude is contagious, and every time you pray for a kid back in kids' ministry, and every time you plug in a cable, you're giving God an opportunity to change somebody's life. Hear the good news of the gospel. And you're living a purpose bigger than yourself. You're caring for your soul. You're not only thinking of yourself. You're thinking of the things of God. Here's the problem. According to a study, a group of people got together and they asked Christians. So they'd call them, hey, are you a Christian? No. Great. Thanks for your time. Are you a Christian? Yes. How often do you go to church? Three times every eight weeks. That's what they found. 1.8 1.8 Sundays per month is what the average Christian attends uh, church to. Now, if you roll that out into the rest of your life, are you caring for your soul? If you work out three times every 56 days, are you caring for your soul? If you eat healthy three times every eight weeks, are you going to see some positive gains out of that? I would argue not. So certainly, caring for your soul means coming to church, but it can also mean a whole host of other things. You want to get practical? How about pray for people? What's Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Caring for your soul might be pre-preparing your day by praying for the people that you know are going to be difficult. Just in your mind, just say, God, I forgive them before I even see them today. And you pre-prepare the day. Because forgiven people forgive people. You want to do something practical? Then forgive people, the difficult people in your life. Here's something to keep in mind with difficult people not toxic people, remember there's a difference, but difficult people, remember maybe it's not them that's being difficult. Maybe it's the situation that led up to that, right? Maybe they just found out some bad news. Maybe it's not their behavior. Maybe it's manifesting itself as their behavior, but it's all kinds of different situations. Hurting people hurt people. Maybe you should consider how they got to that place to begin with. Just the other day, I was out here driving on 61st Street, and there's a ton of construction going on. It's been going on forever. In reality, it's just a huge nightmare to drive that direction anyway. But I was going... And I was going to turn right to get on to the interstate, and across the intersection from me was a guy in his truck. I could clearly see him. I could clearly see a young boy in the back seat sitting in the center. And uh, how many of y'all realize that I got the green light? I have what's called the right of way. Okay, so I get I get to turn first. But as I'm approaching the deal, I'm in a good mood. I happen to be listening to some good music at the time. All my omega-3s are well balanced out. I've had plenty of sleep. I've got, my, I got vitamin D coursing through my veins. I'm, I'm, in a pleasant, I'm in a pleasant mood. And so I'm just taking it nice and slow. Light turns yellow. I stop and say, you go on ahead, buddy. Okay, so he's going to turn left in front of me. He decides that he's going to give me the universal signal for your number one, uh, if you're tracking with me. And he does that through the turn, out the window, all the way up the ramp to get on the interstate. I was like, are you kidding me right now? I let you go. What do you have to be mad about? And you think about the one thing that... uh, you know, kept me from losing my salvation in that moment was all of you guys, because I knew I was going to have to stand up here and preach in a few weeks, and I was like, this is not, if I yank this guy out of his truck in a road rage incident and introduce him to Cain and Abel, come on somebody, (laughs) like, you know, that's ridiculous, I don't know why I said that, but like, I was furious, like in my body, more though, I was just confused, why why would you be mad? And I was concerned for the child in the backseat that this is the example that he's going to have to follow. And in that moment, instead of being violent, which is what everything I wanted to do in my soul, I started to pray for the guy. It's like God, I have no idea why a guy's upset today. And you know what happened? My soul just got encouraged because I was thinking about somebody other than myself. But p- today, people are so thin-skinned and hard-hearted, the only thing I know that can help them is the power, mighty work of God's Holy Spirit in their life. Now, we need to start praying for some people. Hurting people hurt people. But you've got to care for your soul. As Jesus points out, part of that is self-sacrifice. Take up your cross, do some things, pray for people, for good people, set up some healthy boundaries, do whatever you can practically, trying to understand some other people. But number three, you also need to do good. Do good. What's Jesus saying in verse 27? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they've done. This is why I feel like we've got to talk about heaven next week in a difficult conversation because there's some kind of conspiracy theory out there about it's just clouds and wings and a harp and it's eternity and how many of you all know that sounds like the other place if we're just sitting there with a harp that sounds horrible never listened to harp music in my life and this is what I don't even want to learn the harp so we need to talk about that but there's also a little bit of a conspiracy here that Jesus is going to judge you well that's not what it said it said he's going to determine. the rewards you get based on what you've done. God the Father is going to judge if if you're worthy of getting into the kingdom based on whether or not you've accepted His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we've got a lot of conversations that we've got to have around heaven. So yes and amen to Jesus saving your soul. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. And praise God that all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And praise Jesus that once I've received the good, I've got to start doing some good for other people. You want to take a look at a difficult verse? How about the one Jesus' half-brother wrote in James 4.17? If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. For who? For them. That's why I couldn't just give you a list of good things that you need to do. Because God is going to tell you the good that you need to do and your good might be different than my good, but if I don't do the good that God's told me to do, I'm the one that's sinning, not you and me. So you gotta discern in your own heart and have people around you that can help you decide you got to do some good. Friday night, uh, Thursday night, I get home and I'd put the kids to bed and Laura had went to go get some groceries and on their way back on her way back. She gets in uh, to the garage and says, "There's a guy stranded on the interstate. You need to get a gas can. He's out of gas. Go help him." I'm like I ain't going anywhere. I got shorts on. It's like 15 degrees outside, and she's like, "You're a pastor. Go help him." It's like, "What the?" F-? You got to do good. Have people around you that can do good and speak it out. Listen to me. You might be the miracle somebody's praying for. For God to change their life. And you're robbing them of a blessing if you know you ought to do something and you don't do it. So a couple things I want you to consider as we wrap up our time this morning. First of all, who's writing this? Anybody know? Not a trick question. What book are we in? Matthew. Matthew's writing this. The real name is Levi. You know what Levi's real job was before he became a disciple? He was a tax collector. The worst of the worst when it comes to human beings. Robbing from his own people to find an, to fund an oppressive government. You want to talk about difficult people. Levi is one. But then he met Jesus. And the people you allow in your life today will largely determine who you become tomorrow. Then there's Peter. You want to talk about difficult? Cussing people out at the crucifixion chopping off dudes ears always wanting to walk on water and be some kind of miracle guy and uh, then there's other parts of the Bible some other disciples called the sons of thunder these dudes are difficult they bring their mom into Jesus and she asks them Hey, I want my sons to sit at your right hand when you become king of the world. That's embarrassing that mom's the one coming in to this. And here's my point. Jesus was surrounded by difficult people. And we keep trying to change them when God is trying to change us. So I hope that I gave you some things that you can think about and some things that you can try. But if you get nothing else that I say, then you have to get this. Jesus also let Judas betray him. And Jesus also let Judas leave the group and do something unspeakable. Are you tracking with that? Sometimes, after you've set healthy boundaries, and after you've cared for your soul, and after you've forgiven people, and after you've done some good, sometimes you just got to say, Bye. Don't need this in my life. And I'm not saying you get a divorce. And I'm not saying you cut off your kids. And I'm not saying what you do. I'm saying that you need to analyze your internal compass. And you can't always trust that thing. And you need godly people in your life helping discern where God is leading you. There's potency in your posse. God has a purpose for your life. He's got a plan. And it involves the redeeming work of mankind. Your job isn't to change anybody. Your job is to discern the will of God for your own life and help other people encounter him in a powerful way. Can I hear a better amen, somebody? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we have together. I'm asking you now again just to do what only you can do. And I'm sure that people, as they heard this message, were brought to mind some images of difficult people and how they need to respond and God what I'm really asking you to do is just help us wrestle with how did that person in there, how can I understand them better, how can I understand me better, what are you trying to teach me in this situation and if I need to cut them off because they're toxic God give us the power to do that but if they're just difficult God help us live our lives in such a way that we can make a difference in their life that we can plant seeds, that we can show them your love, your mercy, your compassion, your grace, that how difficult were we before we met you. God, help us change people's lives for your glory and our joy. And God, if there's anybody here this morning who has never cared for their soul in a way where they surrender their life to you, God speak to them right now this is a holy moment for you God's trying to draw you into his family and like the verse we just read all you have to do is trust in Jesus that one day he's coming back but like I said he first had to die and rise from the dead because he rose from the dead he can resurrect your dead soul you can have life and fulfillment and happiness again and you can just pray the simple prayer of saying God I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and my sins are forgiven God thank you for that free gift of salvation help each person leave here today encouraged changed one step closer to your son and in a powerful way let them be sent out into this world to change it for your name's sake. We love you. We praise you. Amen.